Today we have Dan Fleischman on, and guys, listen to this intro here. He's the youngest founder of a publicly traded company in history at age 23. He started an online poker brand next. He has his charity, which is the Model Citizen Fund, which he started in 2011. Uh, basically what it is is they provide a backpack with 150 items in it for homelessness, and it's 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 incredible. I've been a part of it. They did the largest toy drive ever in the world last year. They've been doing that for years. He's a huge angel investor. He has First Slice Media, which is the biggest marketing agency in the world. They work with Kim Kardashian, Justin Bieber, Floyd Mayweather, Kylie Jenner. He has more paid posts than anyone in history. He's big on the elevator nights. He's done that 51 times. He has cards and coffee, which is exploding in coffee shop where you can buy and sell cards. He's huge in the uh, crypto community. He's an avid speaker. He has an animal ranch, which is on 26 acres. They have 85 animals. It's an animal sanctuary. I just went there last month. There's a military training course there, ATV course, basketball court, pickleball court, everything. He has the real Tarzan there taking care of the animals. I got to see the anacondas, a monitor lizard, giant pythons. Like, it's incredible. Dan is a founder of the Avengers and 100 Million Mastermind, which are two insane masterminds or experience masterminds. And they've had the craziest events ever. He's an author of two books, How to Set Up Your Personal Brand for Under $1,000 and How to Set Up Your Business for Under $1,000. I highly recommend those. I've read both of them. And then he's the host of the Money Mondays podcast. If you haven't checked this out yet, go check it out. It's number four in the world right now. He's on episode number 15. He's had Tim Sykes on, Pace Morby, Tim Grover, Wes Watson, Dan Blazerian. It's insane. Basically, what they do is they bring people on and talk about money, how to make money, how to invest money, how to give it away. Uh, it's an awesome show. Uh, so, Dan, I'm so stoked to have you. We've kind of ran into each other over the last year at Avengers or We Are The They or Cars and Coins. So it's just an honor to have you on. I'm glad to be here. It sounds like a lot of stuff the way you say it like that. It's just basically it's like you're anywhere and everywhere. So it's it's really uh, you're a really unique guest that has a great perspective on so much that's happening in the world right now. Well, the good thing is you can ask me anything about anything. Cool. So, I mean, you've done so much with businesses, with masterminds, with investing, with social, <laughs> just everything. And now you're moving into a new phase, which is podcast. So yeah. how's it going so far? So I didn't expect it to be this big this fast. Yeah. So now I'm addicted because now it's the game of it. Sure. Um, today we're number three in business. And we're number one for 23 days in a row, uh, an entrepreneur. And so those are the categories that I care about. Um, and so now, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm addicted. And so I'm yeah. constantly thinking about when am I going to film? How many episodes I do? Um, right now we put out one episode every Monday, obviously, because it's called the Money Mondays. Yeah. We do a bonus episode on Fridays. Um, the reason for that is, and this is kind of like a trick to the algorithm, is if you put out a second episode, it kind of helps when there's a like a lag. After, yeah. You know, after, after two, three, four days later in the week, if you put out an episode on Monday, it can start to fade down. So you'll see like an Ed Milet will start do one on Monday or Tuesday, put out one Thursday or Friday. It helps with the algorithm. Uh, so if you guys are out there and you're thinking about a podcast, a second episode can help um, cool. just on with the algorithms. If you care about the algorithms, now, a lot of people are doing it to put out the content. Sure. I'm just obsessed with the algorithms now because of the game of like, okay, I got to try to stay top 10. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, yeah, Mondays I come out, Fridays I do a bonus episode. And um, and then doing it inside of an RV motorhome kind of made it a unique thing to like travel around. Yeah. And it removed the celebrities and athletes that I'm interviewing a lot. It removes their excuse of like, oh, let's plan it three months from now, or oh, I'm on tour. Yeah. Oh, you're in Philadelphia? What a coincidence! Me too. You're in Dallas? I'm going to be there tonight also. <laughs> like I can just pull the RV up to wherever they are, to their house, their office, or what, whatever city they're in. Sure. And so that was the kind of the concept behind the RV motorhome was to make something very mobile. Yeah. To make it easier for them. Yeah, it's been fun. Behind the scenes, then you're having somebody drive it out there. Yeah. I'm guessing you never probably drive it. I have driven it, but okay. I don't drive it multi-states or anything, but I would drive it from like Arizona to LA or LA to Vegas type things. I would drive that. Yeah. And then the trick is for like something like Miami, I rent the exact one mm -hmm. and then I put up all the decals and replicate it. Bring so the you guys, equipment. You guys know the secret now. Um, I don't want to drive it across country. Totally. You know, I don't mind driving a few states, but yeah. it's not that safe to drive it across the country. Yeah. What are you enjoying most about the podcast so far? I have a very, very intense mission with it is to spread the message about it not being rude to talk about money. Yeah. 
you know, we all grew up thinking it's rude to talk about money. We grew up thinking it's rude to talk about salaries and rent and leases and apartments. And yeah. what happens if your friend has to borrow money? Like these are things that are real life, they're real life. And also the concept that money is the root of all evil. It's not. If I have to pay for family members' medical bills, that's not evil. I have to sure. buy food for families and children and friends, et cetera. That's not evil. I have to pay for school, clothing, healthcare, housing, apartments. These are all real life things that money is involved in on a day-to-day basis. And so trying to demonize money, like it doesn't make any sense to me. It's not. Yeah. And so can can some small amount of people do bad things with money? Of course. They can do a small amount of bad things with everything. Having water, you know why we take our water bottles before we get on an airplane? Because one guy 22 years ago had a water bottle with something bad in it on an airplane. 22 years ago, and it didn't even work. Mm. And so 22 years later, we're still impacted by it. So because somebody somewhere did something bad with money, we have this notion in our mind that it's bad to talk about money or money is the root of all evil. And my goal with this podcast is to spread the message very, very intensely and very bluntly. It is not rude to talk about money. It's actually rude to not talk about it. We need people to have these conversations because that's why we have financial crises. That's why we have people going broke. That's why we have people that make a lot of money and then go broke. And we watch all these athletes go broke and it's sad. It's because they don't know, they don't have any financial literacy. Sure. And uh, I mean, obviously that's, that's what we do here at the company. Why we started the podcast is financial freedom. I mean, that's a huge piece to becoming sovereign and being free, right? Is that financial literacy piece. So that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time today is, is diving into that. But why do you think there's a culture of it's weird to talk about money? Why does that exist? It's just how we all grew up. And also keep in mind that 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't angel investing and venture capital and uh, all these, there was no social media apps. There was no social media at all. There wasn't even a smartphone 15 years ago. Like if you really think about what 20, 30 years ago, not that long of a time ago, but nothing existed. Nothing. There was no Netflix. You weren't watching, you weren't having Robinhood app. You didn't have Coinbase. There was no Bitcoin. Like we didn't have all the things that are normal to us now. Uber didn't exist. Postmates didn't exist. DoorDash didn't exist. Nothing existed. Yeah. You really just think about it, the fact nothing existed 15 years ago that we think is common knowledge or we think is normal life. Like I couldn't even imagine trying to hail a taxi right now, right? I can't, I totally. couldn't even concept like having to not have someone bring food through DoorDash or Postmates <laughs> or something. I can't even fathom it, yeah. right? Because it became so normal to us. But 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have any of these things. And so we didn't talk about money. We obviously didn't post on social media because it didn't exist. So we didn't have these conversations. And so I just think now that we're past that part and people are realizing how important money is and where people are realizing what wealth can look like. I think it's just very, very critical. We have these discussions. Yeah, absolutely. What have you been able to notice whether it's throughout your life or since a podcast, what do you notice the like common threads with people that are successful specifically with money? What do they all have in common? So the ones that go broke have no, uh, how do I say it? The best way I would say it is they have no restrictions. Like they're not strict in their daily life and how they, who they surround themselves with and what they spend money on. I also noticed that the people that go broke or lose a lot of money is they also are trying to impress other people mm. and they're buying the second Lamborghini and they're buying the second watch and the fifth watch and they're buying the, f- everything is, they have a five bedroom house when they live by themselves. Yeah. Like it's just a lot of things that it doesn't seem like a lot like, Oh, instead of three grand, it's only four grand. No, no, no. Thousand bucks a month times 12 is 12 grand a year extra. You're going to live there for five years. You just wasted $60,000 that you could have been investing. And then we start to think about that in every aspect of your life. We just watch a lot of people that they're frivolous spending and not budgeting. Even when they have money is why you see a lot of people grow broke or lose a lot of money. Yeah. And the flip side, people that are really wealthy and getting past rich and going to wealthy and becoming generational wealth, they're investing. Their discussions are about investing. When I'm around the rich friends and they're talking about spending money at nightclubs and spending money on this and spending money on that and that and that and that. And they're always talking about spending money. I'm quiet. I'm listening. I'm like, that sounds cool. You know, like I'm talking to them about it. But my response is always about investing in real estate, investing in stocks, investing in crypto, investing into companies. Like if you have a lunch or dinner with me, I'm going to talk to you about investing. Not through me. That has nothing to do with me personally. Sure. It's about why I want you to invest because I want everyone else to be rich. I want the people that I know and the people that I don't know to become wealthy. So they're not dependent on the government. So they're not dependent on, they're not nervous. And I have this whole like rabbit hole thing we could talk about later. We're going to live a lot longer. People are going to live 90, 100, 110, 120, God willing, some people longer. Yeah. Well, if you retire at 70 or 80, you need to have money for 30 years, 40 years. Yeah. Not 10. So you can't retire. changed. You can't retire with 200 grand now. Yeah. No, it's not happening. And so, and with inflation, think about what things are going to look like in 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now. 
our hundred bucks is going to be worth like 40, right? If we're, if we're lucky. Yeah. And so when you really think about those things down the rabbit hole, like you have to get rich and people think that's rude or like, Oh, I can't believe you said that. You have to get rich. Yeah. You have to get rich to support your family and to support your retirement. You're not gonna be working when you're 96. You're just not, but you might be alive and you might be alive to 106. What are you gonna do from 96 to 106 if you don't have any money? hundred percent. And that's why we have to talk about it, right? So let's get into it. I thought I love the format of the Money Monday show where you start out how to make money, how to invest money and how to give it away with yep. each guest. So I want to kind of follow that same methodology, but with you, you know, for the, so you started off. <laughs> right, I've never done this before. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at an early age, it sounds like you were a hustler. I mean, you're selling cards, selling shirts, whatever, yep. but which I think a lot of kids can probably relate to. And I've heard you talk before, like not everybody's meant to be a CEO. So you save up 43K for college, yep. and then you, you come to this decision where it's like college or do my first company. Yep. So what made you take the jump to do that first company at 17, right? Yep. So we had made 100 T-shirts and just said, who's your daddy? Like a big, just a white T-shirt with big black letters on it. Because it's a popular saying at the yeah, time. Yes. Yeah. And we had trademarked it, and uh, you know, we're 17 and a half. We had to have like my older brother and my partner's dad help us with the trademark because we weren't even 18 at the time. And then when we're 18, we we're like, yeah, we can switch it to our names anyways. And so we make a hundred t-shirts. We sell them for 15 bucks each and we sell out $1,500 in high school. I'm basically a millionaire. Totally. Right? That's it. Like I'm going to retire. Yeah. And so <laughs> I realized as we're going to about to go to San Diego state university, you know, my partner and I were two different worlds. Him and his father, you know, his father had a $200 million a year company. Wow. My family, we were living on two grand a month. And so it was very different lifestyles. And we worked well together and he was my best client. I would sell him candy at school and he'd buy the whole bag and give it to girls. <laughs> That's how we got close. And so we saw the t-shirts and I realized, wow, this is really cool. We go to the first clothing convention called magic. It's in Las Vegas. Yeah. And at that show, we get a 20 foot booth instead of a 10 foot booth. We're like, yeah, we're gonna be big time, Going big 20 feet. Right. Next to us is a guy named Diddy at that time named Puff Daddy. And he's got the whole walkway, which at that time he's like at the top, right? Sure. He's peaking yeah, Tim out. And yeah. He's on every TV show and every TV. Sure. And so there, theirs looks like a big, huge castle. On the other side of me, and by the way, that was their debut show. Sean John launched the same day we launched. Wow. On the other side of me is a company called FUBU. They're doing a bazillion dollars in sales. They have the whole walkway also, and I'm like the little engine that could in between them. But because of that, every buyer from every single chain store walked by us because we're right in between the two of the biggest brands. So we write over a million dollars in orders, just selling like T-shirts and hoodies and hats. You know, like literally off of a clothing rack. We're just writing orders. You don't even have a, a real manufacturer to handle it. What did you guys think you were going to sell? Like no 100 idea. grand? I had no, no, idea. I, no idea. I had no idea. I wouldn't even know what 100 grand was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 1,500 bucks was a millionaire to me. So like the 43 grand I saved was working at the stadium selling cotton candy and peanuts and Cracker Jacks yeah. as a food vendor. And you had three jobs, right? Yeah, I was working for a stockbroker under the table. I was working at uh, Ruby's Diner with the sailor's cap on. And my main, the main money was coming from the stadium. I was making 100 to 300 bucks a night. Selling peanuts and cracker jacks. Mm, which that's pretty good money. Hell yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> 15, that, 16, 17. Totally. <laughs> I was selling peanuts and cracker jacks in the parking lot and lemonade in the parking lot after the game if I had to just to make extra money. Yeah. Anyway, so when I when we realized, okay, wow, we wrote a million dollars in orders. Uh, we have to figure out how to fulfill it. That's not like a fun side thing anymore that we're just, you know, this it's is work. a serious business. Yeah. And so that's when we made the decision. I'm gonna go all in on this brand. So then you're 17, fast forward to 23. IPO, right? Yeah. And then I've heard you say from 23 to 27 is basically a blur. It's I like no memory. No memory. Not, not, You're not just working all the time. I got us into 43 distributors. Utah was actually one of our biggest ones. We had nine Budweiser distributors in, in Salt Lake City and wow. in the surrounding areas. Um, there's a guy that owned a bunch of Greek restaurants. He's the one that plugged us in. I used to come out here with him. We yeah. became the main sponsor of the Utah State Fair for two years. They had some brand called Coca-Cola before us. And then they, they, let, <laughs> they let us come in here. We did a, a joint venture with Smith's Grocery Store buy these energy drinks at Smith's grocery store for $2 a can, you get $5 off each ticket by doing that. I mean, everybody went right. So it sure. looked like we were superstars because everybody would pay two bucks a can to get $5 off a ticket. And they were going to go to the event anyway. They're going to go to the, you know, the state fair anyways. And so we crushed it with that. And anyway, so that we get into nine Budweiser distributors here, 43 distributors around the country and 55,000 retail stores. I went and trained all 43 distributors wow multiple times wow. all over the country. Yeah. So you lived on the road. And there was no, again, there's no social media back then. There's like, I had MySpace, you know, but there was no other social media platforms. And I'm driving most of the time or flying in yeah. and there's no smartphone. Like, I'm just like, 
anyways yeah. so that was my my world uh back then and so from 23 to 27 i just don't remember i didn't no dating no birthday parties i was with i was with a girl for years and i barely saw her so it's the eight-year run the, the other question i have is like a 23 year on cnn fox news all this stuff how did you grow at that early age and get polished like were you the ceo what yeah. role okay yeah. so i mean did did you have a mentor did you have coaching did somebody sit you down and help you out because that's just the fast track right yeah so there was a guy named christopher wicks he had the licenses to fender guitars uh hang 10 Ocean Pacific, Body Glove, LA Gear, all these old school legendary 90s, brands. 90s, yeah. Humongous, right? And then he had his own brand called English Laundry, which he sold for like 110, 120 million bucks. He was my mentor because that's where it all started. And I talked to his son literally yesterday. Like I still talk to his son mm -hmm. who was running the business with us. He's my age. And so we got in there and he was already so big in the clothing space. And he helped us go through the roller coasters, go through getting screwed over, go through the, the back and forth. Um, but as far as like the actual media training, I don't, I don't think they had media training back then. It was just, I was, you know, if you throw me in the pool, I got to swim or die. And so I just kept doing it. I kept doing it. And then I did get a publicist later uh, named Ray Drasnan. I think like four or five years later, he, he came on and he like gave me full on PR training. Like, this is how you talk. This is, this is why you lean over when you want them to th feel like you're interested in them. This is why you lean back so that they know you're, you're just interested in what they just said. Like, yeah, he, he walked me through human behavior. Wow. And then I, I hired an FBI agent named Joe Navarro that does human behavior training. And he would teach me why everything, what I was doing, what the person was doing, if they were lying, if they were trying to get me to say something mean or wrong or like twist my words. It was fascinating. Wow. And so I went deep into that from like 26, 27 years old. As you look in that stretch, that eight year stretch, I mean, being on those news outlets, was that like a pretty scary thing compared to other things? Or what was the scariest, hardest part of the business? I don't remember at all. Okay. I was in it. Yeah. I was just, just in it. Whatever I didn't was have coming. a choice. And, yeah. I, and I was just so proactive because like Maxim Magazine was big back then. MTV was big back then. BET was big back then. I would go to New York to go to 106th and Park, literally sit front row, just get there four hours early so I can make sure I had the front row seat and bring in, a, sneak in t-shirts in my back, like back of my pants up my back of my sweater. Yeah. And then once the show started, I started giving out wow. t-shirts for people to wear in the front row to get on wow. BET. So I didn't how I couldn't afford to advertise there. Yeah. Just Even though we were doing millions of dollars in sales, we didn't have money. Like, you know, we are always spending money to make more drinks or make more t-shirts. Yeah. I'd go to TRL for MTV and I did everything. They had like a MTV summer, summer jam. That was like two weeks in Malibu. I showed up for two weeks straight and I got a cheap hotel down the street. And I showed up every day giving out T-shirts to everybody so that when they were dancing around on MTV, they were wearing my T-shirts. Yeah. So what was it like for your friends, do you think? Like, because obviously if it if you IPO'd in 2023 or sorry, 2003 uh, at, at 23, my bad, then you were working on that for a year prior or mm -hmm. maybe two years prior. So for your friends are like, dude, Dan is going to be the CEO of a publicly traded company at like 22, 23, yeah. like. Was that crazy for you? Was it crazy for them? So the friends in that time frame weren't a lot. I literally lived on the road. And before we went public, it was two years of legal paperwork and accounting. And I had to be selling because you need your numbers to look good before you go public. Right. Yeah. And so I was in full fledged sales mode. I don't know if I could name any friends from back then. Wow. Which Just work. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't know if I could name any. Yeah. Like, the people that were my high school friends were still my friends and we saw each other sporadically. I'm still friends with those same exact five, six characters, you know, 15, 20 years later. But ultimately I, I was, I didn't have time. I, I didn't have time. I didn't have an interest and we didn't have texting. So it wasn't like the way you have social friends now. Sure. Back then you like, if you want to hang out with your friends, you'd like go to their house or like you'd call them on the phone. How are you going to call me? Yeah. I'm, I'm not home. You did. And you sacrificed a lot of your twenties. You were working hard, but it's put you in a situation now to where you get to work on the projects that you want. So going back to money and talking about money in the, in a healthy way for people. One thing Jimmy Rex talks a lot about with our guys is look, if, if you're willing to have a hard twenties, you can have an easier thirties, forties, fifties. Sure. But if you're willing to have an easy twenties, you're probably gonna have a hard, mm -hmm. you know, cause I just can't imagine like Dan at a nine to five right now, just trying to make enough to pay the bills like that. Like your life would be so different. And so what do you think about that? Like sacrificing in your twenties? So specifically for in the door to door space, I mean, you got kids that are making 50 grand, a hundred grand, 200 grand. I've even heard 200, three, 400 grand a year yeah. in a year or yeah. just in the summer. That's insane. Like insanity. You can set yourself up for life with those type of numbers. 
Because if you do that for three, four, five, six years, now you've saved up 300K, 500K, God willing, a million dollars or something like that. Yeah. Really basic investments can set you up forever. Like really basic stuff. Nothing's fancy, no private equity deal, not buying like trading NFTs or crypto, just like really basic stuff because of compound interest and time. So let me walk you through a very basic example. You can go to AvengersCalculator.com. It's a free thing. There's no email or anything. Go to AvengersCalculator.com and put in your age. So let's say you're listening, you're 24 years old. Put in 9% a year and then put in 30 years. And if you contribute 10 grand a year for 30 years at 9% a year, how much do you think it is at the end of 30 years? It's more. No, it's more than that. It's around $2 million. Wow. So if you're listening and you're making 50 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand a year, could you throw in 10 grand a year? What if you throw in 20? What if every month you throw in a thousand bucks, 1500 bucks a month? That's incredible. Compounding and time for people that are listening that are 24 years old and 32 years old and 28 years old, you've got a lot of time. And if you just contribute 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, a thousand bucks, 200 bucks to whatever yeah. you can afford consistently into something that makes five to 10% a year in interest, it's insane what can happen for your future and for your family and your kids' kids, your grandkids. Like, And so I'm obsessed with talking about this, especially for your audience, because you've got hundreds of these kids that are out there making real money, making five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand, et cetera, in a summer. This is serious stuff. This is not a joke. Because most 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds, they might make 30 grand a year. If they're doing good, they're making 40 grand a year. If they're standing out with their friends, they're making 50 to 60 grand a year. You guys make that in a summer. That's yeah. like an average kid, yeah. right? Yeah. Your good kids are going to go crazy and do double, triple that. Sure, yeah. A lot of the guys that have done it for a couple of years can be, you know, 250 to five. <laughs> I mean, and if you get into leadership, then you can be clear in five, you know, in a year. And so it's, these, it's these serious are staggering money. number. This is yeah. more than doctors. This is more than lawyers. Yeah. This is more than anybody. And those people go to eight to 12 years of school, get themselves in six figures of debt. Now they're 30 by the time they start doing it to go make 300K. Yeah. You're talking about kids doing that in their, when they're 22, 25. So there's a lot of different advantages to being able to do this and you set yourself up. So the doctors, accountants, and lawyers that are out there, we need you guys, by the way, I don't, I, we need doctors and <laughs> sure. I'm not saying that everybody go do solar, but yeah. those people have to go through eight to 12 years of schooling. So then as they start making two, $300,000 a year, which is amazing, they have to go pay back a quarter million dollars, $300,000 in debt that they're in. Sure. And, and they just chip away at that for the next three, four, five years until they're finally clear. And then it's becomes the, the fruits, you know, the fruits yeah. of their labor. So, you guys are in the people that are listening. They're in their twenties and thirties. Like making six figures a year is very, very rare. Yeah. Very rare. Which this is a good segue. You started to talk about investing. I had the privilege of being in a, a smaller type of group when you talked about the 40, 40, 20. Yep. So, I mean, you need to be able to make money and then you need to learn how to invest that money. And so what is the 40, 40, 20? Cause I feel like that is so practical and so helpful. Like, if you would have had that at 20 years old or anybody, right? Yeah. It can change your life. Yeah. So what is that? So 40-40-20 is 40% low risk, things that are making between 5 and 9% for the year. 40% medium risk, I'm hoping to make between 10 and 30% for the year. And 20% is my high risk. This is my shot at glory. Like if I'm right, I want to have a 2x, a 5x, 10x, something crazy to happen. And if I'm wrong or it takes a long time, I'm hoping my low risk and medium risk will cover it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I can make 5 to 9% here and 10 to 30% here and they average around 10 20%, that'll hopefully cover my, my craziness, right? Where I'm buying NFTs or I'm buying into a private equity company or I'm putting in 25 grand in my buddy's t-shirt company. Like I'm doing something crazy that's really high risk. If it works, my buddy's t-shirt company takes off, woo right? My 25 grand becomes 300. Sure. But if I'm wrong, it's okay because I'm hoping that this is here. What's important is that 25 grand number I said it has to be a small amount of the money you have to invest. And so by doing 40%, let's say you've got, you've saved up $100,000, right? You've worked for the last two years. You did some great summers, blah, 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 blah. Bam, you've got 100 grand saved up that you can invest with, not 100 grand to cover your life. 100 grand you can invest with, right? I'm saying put 40 grand low risk, 40 grand medium risk, 20 grand high risk. And so now if you put 20 grand in the high risk thing, you're doing it when you've got these other active things deployed. So you've done some real estate investment. You did an investment into some, your buddy's restaurant that's producing you two grand a month in revenue. Yeah. You bought a fourplex and it's making you 1200 bucks a month. Like you've got some things out there. Now, when you invest in your friend's t-shirt company, you've got some cash flow coming in from your boring investments and your medium risk investments. That's what I want to talk about is, is it, do you, and by the way, the 40, 40, 20 is, this is your 
thing that you came up with, yeah. right? I've never heard it before, but when I heard it, I'm like, this totally makes sense. Like, this is incredible. So do you see it as something that's sequential? Like get that first 40%, the low risk under your belt, or do you see it as, look, as I get paid, I'm going to split this up 40%, 40%, 20. Yes. So when you have your money saved up, the low risk and medium risk is the most important. It's a, the really sexy and cool to try to go do your high risk thing. Yeah. However, you have to have these low risk and medium risk deployed first for safety, right? Sure. Cause if you just give your buddy 20 grand for their t-shirt company, you're even if it crushes it, you're unlikely to see any money for years. Yeah. Even if they crush it. Yeah. Like literally like go do millions of dollars in sales. You're not getting your 20 grand back that, for a long time. That's angel investing, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. And so I want to see that you've got a low risk investment. You've invested something here and you've got a medium risk investment, like a real estate or a cash flowing business, a laundromat that you bought a little piece of a laundromat or a dry cleaner, a dog washing company, a, Someone's doing auto detailing and they want to open their second auto detailer, like cash flowing businesses that have already done well. When you have those, one of those two things, or hopefully both those things deployed, it's less scary to do these high risk investment because you know, you've got some money coming in here. But the most important part of the whole concept is it has to be money that you're not going to get nervous about whether it goes right or wrong. Yeah. You don't want to have what's called a visceral reaction. A visceral totally. reaction is you bought into Apple and it's a hundred bucks a share and it goes down to 72. You're like, oh my God, I got to sell. Apple's going to come back over the course of time, right? They've gone up every year over the course of time since we've been alive. If it goes from 100 to 126, I don't want you to sell either because I'd rather you buy more and just keep adding in. Same thing, if it goes down, I want you to buy more. If it goes up, I want you to buy more and just keep dollar cost averaging over the course of time. Yeah. You would do that if you bought a, sm a small amount. <clears throat> if you bought a large amount, you'd be like, ah. But you, if you put your whole 100 grand in and it goes down to 72 or up to 126, you're going to go crazy and you're going to want to sell, right? But if you put in 10 grand and then you add in a thousand and you add in 2000 and you add a thousand, you add 4,000 over the course of time. Yeah. You're going to wake up after two, three years, especially guys that are 24 years old. They're like, wow, I'm 27. I have 12 units now because I bought some fourplexes or I bought a piece of some fourplexes. I own a piece of three restaurants. My Apple stock is up 18%. Like you start to accumulate just by adding in money here and there along the way. Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense. I'll throw a curveball at you though, because these are the discussions people probably don't get to hear about, right? Is totally makes sense to get that low risk under your belt first. But what if you're 22 and you're like, I don't have a family. I don't have a wife. I don't have a kids. Like this is where I can roll the dice. What do you think about that? Still same thing? Exact same thing. Yeah. Even better. So what happens is the low risk is what I call boring. It is boring, especially if you're 22. It's not sexy. Right? Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, 9% a year. That's boring. If you keep adding to that 9% a year and you just keep throwing in whatever you can afford to 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, two grand, and you do that every single month, this boring thing will beat anything you ever do ever because it just keeps compounding, especially for a 22 year old. You just keep adding to it. And if you have that mentality, it'll also make you work harder in your game. Yeah. Meaning you're going to want to go knock more doors. You're going to want to make more calls. You're going to want to make more things happen because you know, oh, if I put another 20 grand into the boring thing, that 20 grand becomes 22 next year. That doesn't sound like a lot, but 22 compounds to 24. 24 becomes 27.3. 27.3 becomes 30. You're like, wait a minute. It starts adding up real quick when you start to do what's called compound interest. And so at the same time, you're buying another piece of a little restaurant. You're throwing 10 grand, 20 grand, 20, 30 grand in. You're buying a piece of another dry cleaner. You're buying a piece of another thing. And the action is what's causing you to work harder in your core business. And by having this money go away, you're not going to waste it. Because well, the hardest part I see is the 22-year-old goes and rents a four-bedroom house and he lives by himself, obviously. You don't need a four-bedroom house. Sure. You need a one-bedroom or two-bedroom. Yeah. Right? If you have buddies coming over, you have a girl come over, you have family come over, get a two-bedroom. That's fine. You do not need a four-bedroom house that you're spending three or four grand a month on. They go get the fancy car and then they get a second car. Like, you know, I'm going to get an SUV and a fancy car. Mm. You don't need that. You're 22. You just don't. Yeah. And they don't realize, oh, yeah, but it's only 1600 bucks a month payment. 1600 times 12 means you're throwing away 20 grand a year that you could be investing. Now, I'm not saying not to get at one cool car. Yeah. I want to be clear. I'm not like Dave Ramsey, like, oh, don't buy Starbucks. Get one cool car. That, that motivated you to get it. Get one cool watch. That motivated, motivated you to get it. You don't need four cool watches. I promise. And a lot of times they're going spending $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 a year in clothing. You don't go out that much. You just don't. And you're not going to wear those same shoes. You're not going to wear that, that clothing six months from now, a year from now. 
and I watch it happen too often. They, bought, they go buy Louis Vuitton and Gucci and this and that, and then it sits in their closet for years and years, and they never sell it. They never don't like. And so avoiding it happens by deploying capital out into investments and stacking it up. And again, I'm not saying to not buy some cool outfits or some cool sneakers. I love sneakers, but I'm not going to go buy 500. I went for 35, 36 years before I bought any cool sneakers. I was rich for 15 years before I bought a bunch of cool sneakers because I was always investing it. And now I can buy as many as I want. Yeah. And so I, I just feel like the main concept is that for the boring part, people are like, oh, I'm 22 years old. I just want to like go buy a Bentley or go buy a Lamborghini and go to the nightclubs, et cetera. Having experiences is cool. I want you to travel, get your one cool car, get your one cool watch, get some cool clothing. But ultimately what you want to truly avoid is buying the second, third, fourth one because of this main thing. It will feel numb to you. Getting your second Lambo, getting your second Bentley, getting your fourth watch will feel numb. You will Tim not said that on the podcast, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Last week when it got released, he's like, I felt nothing yes. on my second. He's like, oh, and got a cancer test right. right away. So he's like, what's wrong with me? But he just didn't have that. So yeah, as, as I look at my network, I've noticed the biggest reason why people don't start investing is because it's not sexy, yep. right? And it's like delayed gratification. The people that can just be patient and stick it out, like you said at the first of the conversation, have restrictions. Those are the ones that create true wealth. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people only swing for the fences because it's flashy and it's sexy to invest in crypto or whatever. And there's a place for that. Right. And that's why I like having this conversation because it's like, otherwise, where do you find these conversations? Look, go get the one. Just don't go get the second, third, fourth. Yes. What's your thoughts on crypto? I know... You're big in the space. I got into crypto in 2017. I know that's when I started seeing you get really big in the space. What's your thought on it overall? Well, to me, Bitcoin is inevitable. Over the course of time, Bitcoin has been the best investment in history. So do I think Bitcoin goes up every single year for the most part? Yes, because it went up 11 and 12 years. So in theory, it should continue in that pattern. Now, it probably could go down today. Yeah. 12%, which is insane. And then go back up 11% the next day. Like sure. it has volatility, but over the course of time, Bitcoin keeps winning. And to me, it's a supply and demand thing. Uh, the Bitcoin supply is going to get less and less, not more. People think it's getting more. More is being produced, mined, etc. except people are dying. People are losing their cell phones. People are losing their laptops. Mm -hmm. And 4.6 million Bitcoins are already missing. That's interesting. And so down the rabbit hole again, out of 21 million Bitcoin that are ever going to exist, 4.6 yeah. million are already missing and more will be missing. And you're going to have the rounding error where a lot of people, let's say I send Brandon 600 bucks, but I had 607 in my account. That seven bucks is just going to sit there forever, right? Times that by 7 million transactions a year, seven bucks. And then next year, another 7 million transaction. I'm just picking a number. And there's yeah, another seven super bucks. Super interesting. And so you have a lot of the, the change of Bitcoin that's just kind of losing and becoming missing and never coming back. And you have the weird part about people passing away, losing their phones, et cetera. So to me, Bitcoin's inevitable because of supply and demand. And people are finally realizing the last few years in particular of the use cases of needing to have another currency outside of the banks. Because now obviously people are nervous about household name banks. That's a very scary concept. And so having some money in Bitcoin is useful because at least you have something that's instantaneous. It's very fast. It's faster than a wire transfer because I can send it to you in one minute rather than a wire transfer that takes one day or yeah. one weekend. But then like taking the digital dollar because at the coins and uh, cars event that we were at last summer here, I think jo it was John Pennington that came out and spoke about that. What's your thoughts on that? So the digital dollar is inevitable. The concept of it is. Um, I don't know how well the government will execute on it. And so the concept is is there it's useful and i don't think the u.s dollar the paper dollar goes away for a couple reasons one most of society barely uses credit cards if you think about 36 states those are midwest states that are like you're going to go to alabama and think they're using bitcoin good luck right they don't use uber they don't use postmates like they're not going to go that do that they're going to use cash and they're always going to use cash right and their family's going to use cash and their grandkids are going to use cash and that's what they're going to do in Oklahoma and Alabama and Arkansas, and that's not a root thing. It's just that's yeah, how it is. Yeah, their adoption there. curve, yeah. yeah. And the same thing's going to happen in most countries around the planet, and especially in third world countries. They don't have fast enough internet. They don't have fa fancy enough devices to do the transfers. And so if you don't have cell phones, think about billions of people don't have cell phones, cryptocurrency is meant for people that are making X amount of dollars for the year are really going to have an, a, a meaningful amount that will cover their bills or actually do purchases. 
So the digital dollar is an interesting concept to have also, but for people saying that it's going to be the replacement for dollars, it, it's just wrong. It's not mm. physically possible because people yeah. need to use cash and they want to use cash. Uh, but if that happens, it doesn't take away from Bitcoin, just another tool that people are going to use. And you're still have to onboard to the digital dollar and Bitcoin will probably be the onboarding. So it might even go up higher. Yeah. What about NFTs? I listened to a really fascinating episode and we don't have to go deep into this one, but I can't remember which podcast it wasn't yours. You were on somebody's talking about NFTs and Gary V's events and how he's using NFTs and really fascinating how I think that will evolve. I see it as kind of transferring. I, th I think there's probably always a use case for art, but it looks like there's a real use case for the application of events and things that is just going to make things so much easier. Yep. What do you think on NFTs? Yeah, so I'm going to VCon now um, for his second year. It's in Indianapolis. Uh, he, you know, he gets 10, 15, 20,000 people to show up that can't go without the NFT. It's called VFriends. And there's not a new NFT every year. It's just the first ones. Mm -hmm. And then you can either lease or sell that yes. for the next year's yeah. event, right? So people buying bunny rabbits and gorilla NFTs is not a thing anymore, right? The people that are hyping up and influencers and rappers and making a quick NFT, selling out $3 million in one night and then it dropping. Yeah. That's gone away. It's a fad. That fad has gone away because too many scammers came in. Too many people lost a lot of money. Too many people got burned. And so the concept of like, quick fan art NFT is gone. It's not happening. It's not coming back either. Now, can someone like a big artist do something big? Yes. My friend David Mizell recently did one. For, he was the founder of Marvel Studios. And he did a, more than just an NFT. He did it as like actual digital art. Mm. And he bought a whole comic book company, brought in famous artists and made a, a limited release and did extremely well because that is art. That's coming from a guy that created Marvel Studios and had a comic book company, things like that. Yeah. Me and you making a, a, a new like water bottle NFT or a gorilla NFT, that's not that's not the play. That's not yeah. gonna happen anymore. People are not just gonna go buy random crap anymore. However, non-fungible token, the actual NFT, what it stands for, what it means to go to a restaurant by using an NFT to have access to a membership restaurant or membership nightclub or membership gym or Gary V's event, that is useful. And that won't go away. You're seeing household name corporations like Starbucks start to use NFTs this year. You're like household name car companies are starting to use NFTs. And so people will use it for rewards. People will use it for events. People will use it for customer loyalty. And so that functional part of NFT will not go away. It's only going to get bigger. Yeah. Two, two kind of obstacles I see is, I mean, to buy and sell crypto, there's a certain amount of literacy that has to be involved with your keys and where you're storing those and all those. So I, as I see NFTs becoming more accessible, just on that my grandma could do it on her cell phone. I see that trend um, totally impacting the adoption. The other thing is security. Yes. Like a lot of the hardcore community doesn't like the security, but I'm like, it has to happen for the adoption to go up. What's your yeah. thoughts on those things? It has to happen. Yeah. Your grandma's not going to do it. Think about how many years it took her to use her credit card on a laptop. I think it's worth noting that, you know, a couple years ago, mining was really gaining traction. And that was a really interesting concept to start making money without even doing anything. It's going in the background. Do you think that the next wave of that is going to be the gaming space? So I invested a lot with a friend named Adam Weitzman into what's called Big Time, bigtime.gg. A uh, million dollars to buy digital land that you play games. And when you play, you earn. Yeah, which is crazy, right? Get paid money to yes. play games. Yes. <laughs> it's and so, so nuts. In in many countries, especially third world countries, they have whole like warehouses full of kids and adults that are playing World of Warcraft, Halo, and all these games, winning the, you know, the swords and the guns and all the prizes and then selling those online for you know, making 20, 30, 40 bucks a day. Yeah. It sound like a lot. You live in the Philippines making 30 bucks a day, you're balling. Totally. Rich, rich. Yeah. And so and they're doing it from the comfort of either a warehouse or their home, you know, playing these video games. Yeah. Same thing is happening for the metaverse space and for online gaming that way. There's a, one, a company called Joystick Tokens. We invest in that one. They're doing Joystick is like the biggest one for games. They're also working with big time. So that's why I invested in both because, I, you know, these are companies that are extremely well funded that have tens of millions of dollars in funding. My concern is when the companies that pop up don't have any money behind them. That's why I like companies like Joystick and big time because they're super well funded from real VCs, real people that are behind them. Yeah. And their focus is how do we make gaming environments that people will play, which means sticky. How will they play for long periods of time? That's the stickiness factor to earn digital dollars, money, 
coins, tokens, guns, swords, dragons, you know, all the fun things you can get inside of games and then sell those things for commerce so that they can make money. It has worked at scale. And so I believe this is something that's going to happen. It's already worked in the video game space for many, many years where people were just playing video games to sell, you know, swords and guns. It's going to happen now really, really big uh, through the metaverse. And this is a rabbit hole that I think it's worth paying attention to and, and educating yourself about. But this world of digital currency intersecting with real currency and digital currency is worth real money. For sure it is. And you just think about like the early days of Nike, right? And Phil Knight having all these employees in Vietnam building shoes and warehouses. And it's like now it's going to be warehouses, like you said, mm -hmm. full of people that you're paying to earn you money in the digital space. Really interesting idea. So we talked about making money, investing money. I think social obviously plays a role in both of those things. Um, how important is social and having your own brand built up? So you have a personal brand, whether you like it or not. It's up to you to decide if you're going to tell your story. So let's say I'm Brandon's neighbor. I don't know he does solar. I just think, oh, he's a guy. He's got a couple of kids in a car and this and that. I don't know. Yeah. Because I just I, I drive by you once a week from work and because I'm your neighbor. If you post on social media and I was one of your followers, I would see, oh, I didn't know there was a solar company. Oh, I didn't realize he built this. I didn't know he does this for charity. I don't know he likes to play ba basketball and pickleball. And I, always, I, I didn't realize he actually goes camping on the weekends. Like, you can show your story just by posting on social media your real life. You already have your fancy camera in your pocket. You have a cell phone. You already have a really, 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 really fancy camera, whether you have an iPhone or an Android, yeah. with you at all times. Yeah. You're already going hiking. You're already going to play basketball or pickleball or going to work or real estate or fitness or solar, whatever you're up to. So you're already going to do the thing you're going to do. You already have a fancy camera and Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, and TikTok are free, 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 and free. So there's no excuse to not post on social media. Sure. But what if you post and then me and Brandon see, oh, you do real estate and then we want to buy a fourplex from you. Cha-ching. What if you post and you're a personal trainer and me and Brandon both hire you for personal training at 80 bucks a session. Cha-ching. What if you post and you're a chef, a makeup artist, a hairstylist, a barber, or whatever, like whatever it is that you're up to from solar to being a basketball dribbling trainer. doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. By posting on social media, you can get Dan and Brandon become your clients or referrals or we repost you and you get a bunch of eyeballs on you simply because we saw you post on social media. Yeah. So the notion that People think that they don't have a personal brand. You do. It's just up to you to decide if you're going to tell your story or not. Jumping to the other side of the fence on social, in your personal life, what have you found that works for you? Because just like we have the best scientists in the world that figure out different chemicals in food and what causes dopamine explosions and for us to want to eat certain things, we have the best scientists in the world working on you know devices and apps and yeah. social. So do you have like a limit of how many hours you can spend on it and certain times and like how do you engage with wife and family and close friends and find find that balance for you personally yep. so the main thing is i work in social media obviously so that's yeah. I'm a little bit skewed because that's my job running a big social media agency but if i ever find myself scrolling that i'm just scrolling for no just reason scroll, I, yeah. I, I, i'm done right yeah. away i'm done and i won't go back till later in the night or the next day because i know i'm now just at like zombie mode i don't want to ever be in zombie mode so if i ever catch myself in that i stop It'll also be more interesting if I look less. So what happens is if you look all the time, which a lot of people do, they look 12 to 18 times a day on average. When you look 12 to 18 times a day, it, your serotonin, like you just become numb to it because you're seeing the same thing. You're seeing the same sure. hot girl posting every day, the same hot guy in the gym. You're seeing the same Lamborghini post. Like you're seeing a lot of the same people post the same things and it becomes numb. Like you just don't feel it anymore. And so I look less often and I'll try to go find new accounts. And so I'll, I'll, I'll mute some accounts so I'm not seeing them so often or I'll go look at new accounts or I'll go look at what's called themed pages. So like at wealth, at the billionaires club, I'll go look at like cool pages that are traveling and like information. Yeah. yeah. So I get different things. So I'm not just seeing the hot girl, the buff guy, the Lamborghini and those type of things. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately using it for a tool, using it to get inspired by it, using it for communication. If you're using it as that, those things, whether you spend 30 minutes or two hours is really up to you. And if it's not taking away from real life. So if you catch yourself at dinner and it's a one-on-one -on -one dinner, you should not be using it. If you're at a four-person dinner and you need to look for a minute or two, that's different. If you go to that four-person dinner and all four of you are looking, you're missing on life. That's helpful. One thing I've loved following you is 
it's just different stuff than you would think following somebody that's really successful as an investor, business owner, all these things is a lot of your stuff. I just find myself laughing because you, you post a lot of just funny memes and mm -hmm. just a lot of interesting humor things. So it's, it's been cool to follow you. Let's transition in the last part, which is giving money away. Yeah. Um, you're in, I've been a part of that charity just at different events that you're like, Hey, poker tournament and mm -hmm. proceeds are going here. So it's been cool to watch that and, and be a part of that. Why homelessness? Because, and I want to understand your methodology on how you got there because there's so many different things in this world, yep. right? How did you settle on that? So for years, I was doing charity poker tournaments for other people's charities. And so Sunday would happen. We raised $94,000. We're giving the big check. woo! And then we don't know what happens. Monday becomes Wednesday. Wednesday becomes next week. And I never hear, you know, what happened. Sure. Another charity poker tournament. We raised $165,000, right? And then we give them the big check. We don't know really what happened. We don't see, feel, and touch it. And so I wanted a charity that I could see, feel, and touch that was very direct. A lot of the major charities get billions and billions of dollars, right? For cancer, for AIDS, which are all very important things. But me raising millions of dollars, I don't feel like it's going to really scratch the surface of it. And I'm not going to get to see the impact of it. And again, down the rabbit hole, I think a lot of those things have already been cured. And so I have a bit of a frustration watching... 40, 50, 60, 70% of the money going to overhead and not to the actual th causes. And if the cause is already cured, that's kind of frustrating. So yeah. I wanted something that was very, very straightforward. If I make a backpack with 150 emergency supply items inside and I give it to a homeless person, a women abuse shelter, a teen orphanage, et cetera, I know there's a true cause and effect. They're going to get a bunch of supplies, food and drinks, uh, backpack, sleeping bag, watch. Is it going to change their life forever? No. It's going to give them a, a good, fresh start and have enough things that they can have for a few months. And some of the things they can use for years, obviously. Yeah. As that went on, you know, we also started a Trina's Kids Foundation. Trina's Kids Foundation, I'm going to be with the founder right now, actually. We do the toy drive, the back to school day, report card day, and the Thanksgiving food drive. Those have been going on for eight to nine years each. And so homelessness was the start, and I call it my practice. Because my ultimate goal is, how do I cure hunger? Mm. And I need practice, and I need to build up a ton of relationships, because going out and saying, I'm going to cure hunger, is a very, very, very huge notion that people have talked about for years. But I've come up with a very realistic way to do it on a massive scale. If I figure that out, which I feel like I have, and I make enough money and make my friends enough money so that I, we can have the power, because it takes obviously billions of dollars to go talk, do the thing I'm talking about. Um, how do we then cure homelessness? You're never going to cure it fully because there's a lot of people and they've done tests on this. Like they gave them an apartment. They gave like 10 people an apartment, 10 homeless people an apartment. Yeah. And most of them moved out within one to one to three days. They wanted to live on the street. It's very weird. It's hard to grasp, but it happens often enough that it's hard to just say you're going to cure homelessness. You're not. Uh, even if you gave them mansions for some reason that a lot of them will leave. Now, can we reduce homelessness drastically? Of course. And that has to happen because some cities like San Francisco are in ruin right now. Like you need Batman to go there to go save the day because there's, uh, it's scary what's happening in the streets there at, at a massive scale. And so my practice of the backpacks is to me to learn the homeless community, you know, work with a lot of organizations, me to work alongside the government to make sure I'm doing everything right and approved and permits, blah, 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 blah. So that when I go after the drastic plan of like, okay, uh, let's go cure homelessness in one city, right? San Diego, LA, Las Vegas, somewhere, Salt Lake, like somewhere that I can practice on one city. And then how do I do that at scale? Let's go cure hunger in one city. Let's go figure out how do we make these food banks have everything they need at scale so that everyone is covered. Mm -hmm. All the schools have it for the kids because a lot of kids go to school, go to bed hungry. And a lot of these, anyways, so you get the main yeah, concept. Yeah. So I've been practicing for a decade and building up my relationships, building up my network. I call it collecting people getting a lot, a lot of rich people together, a lot of friends together, making everyone talk about money, think about money, et cetera, for my ultimate selfish plan of how do I fix these things? And it's not me. I'm not going to have my name on it whatsoever. It has nothing to do with a pat on the back. How do I do this so it's easily replicable in every city in the country and then in the world? Yeah, I love it. Why, why do you think that's so important in life? Because, you know, we see, I work with a lot of people in their 20s that maybe haven't been able to give back yet and have impact. So, to talk to that demographic, like why is giving back so important? It will give you a newfound respect on life. It will make you think differently. It's important to your soul. It's important to your brain. 
And if you've never done it, just go to someone else's charity event. You don't have to go try to throw your own charity event. Yeah. You don't have to go donate $10,000. You can start off with donating 50 bucks and a hundred bucks and 500 bucks to go through the process of what it feels like and going down the rabbit hole of researching what charities matter to you. Did something happen to your mom or grandfather, et cetera, that had cancer or Alzheimer's or something happen? Maybe that's a charity that matters to you. Maybe breast cancer matters to you because of something happened with your family or friends. Did something happen to one of your close friends where something tragic happened to their child or something tragic happened to XYZ situation? Or you're just watching and hearing on the news something that you just, ah, I, I want to support Operation Underground Railroad because I can't believe in ch children being trafficked. Or I can't believe homelessness. There's so much homelessness by my house. Find the thing that you care about and then you can go research on Google and on social media charities that are related to that in your city. Go volunteer. It's not just about the money part. Spend some time learning mm -hmm. about it. And when, when you realize, wow, I really like, I want to build orphanages. Or man, I really want to help the homeless. Or man, I really want to help with breast cancer awareness. Going through and finding what that one is, it will literally change your perspective on life. Love it. How do you know, because I've been thinking a lot about this for almost two years now. How do you know is the right time to start your own versus contribute to others? So the best time to start your own charity is last year. And the second best time is today. Right, like we all think about like when we want to do something, you just start it, and it doesn't have to. My first year, of my charity was practice, practice. Like we made a few thousand backpacks haphazardly. We did a couple, you know, events, but our second year was like sixty times bigger. Yeah, our first pounds, right? So, so, getting it started and what I call setting up shop. Like you say, you know what? I'm going to start my charity today. Doesn't mean you're like super active in the first month or first year. Yeah, you're just getting all the things in place, getting the people in place for it. The toy drive, nine years ago, there was eight of us on the floor wrapping toys. And then a couple hundred kids showed up the next day and we gave out toys. Second year, there was like 30 of us. Now there's hundreds. I don't have to go if I didn't want to because there's hundreds of volunteers, right? Starting the toy drive and just saying, hey, this December, on December 15th, we're going to meet at this location. Everybody bring your toys. You just start. And so I would say, as you're thinking about it, set up shop. Right, come up with the name, come up with the concept, get the basic website, get all the things in place to set up shop for it. Research what the other charities that are similar to you, what have they done, what are their websites, what are their events, look at their social, like see what they're doing. It's like I call it stalking your competitors. Go stalk the competitors, not to hurt them because you want to help exactly what sure. they're trying to do, but go look at what they're doing, what you think that they're doing right, what do you think they're doing wrong, fix all those things. That's all I did with my backpacks. I spent four months before I started asking homeless people and military what would you need if I threw you out in the desert to get back? That's all I asked. Mm. And I got all these different answers of like, oh, I just need duct tape. Oh, yeah. I just need socks. Duct tape wasn't on my list, but it's the number two most requested item. Socks is the number one most requested item. I thought socks were cool and important, maybe top 30. Yeah. Socks were hands down, unequivocally the most important thing. You know why oh. I know? Because I just asked. Wow. And so by going down the rabbit hole and researching and asking about the thing that you're wanting to do or what you're considering... Go look at the other charities. Go volunteer for them. Go donate to them. Go through their experience. See their onboarding letters. See their emails that are coming to you after you donate to them. Like, Just be a part of the experience of a similar charity, and all of a sudden you'll have a charity. What if you're like 24, though? You feel like your network's small. You can't blow it up, and maybe you only have a couple grand of disposable income. Is it better to invest in somebody else's charity, or do you still feel like doing your own is better? So you came to the right place. I started my company when I was 17. I didn't know anybody and I didn't have social media. Yeah. Think about how much power people have with social media. If you're 23 years old and you have a cell phone, you have access to a lot of things, right? You have a way to get a hold of business owners and rich people and things like that. You don't have to be the one to donate a dollar. If I didn't buy one toy for the toy drive, we still would have broke the record. The amount mm. of toys I bought, I bought a lot of freaking toys. They were irrelevant compared to how many toys were donated. Yeah. Right. Same thing with Thanksgiving food drive. I fill up a couple of cars with, with Thanksgiving food. That's not scratching the service compared to the rest of the people. So if I didn't bring that food, we still would have had plenty of food for everybody. Sure. I say that because if I didn't donate a dollar to my own charities, we'd still be doing great. Yeah. Just from the fact that I bring the community together. The 23-year-old with a cell phone can bring the community together, I promise. This kind of changing gears, though, but I've heard you talk a lot about not everybody's meant to be a CEO. So if somebody's not meant to be an entrepreneur, what's your advice or methodology on how do they find what career or what field they should go into? So I actually think that most people should not be a CEO. It's a very lonely, it's very difficult, it's very hard. And even when things are going right, you're the last one to get paid. There's a lot of problems and headaches and you're a constant firefighter of problems. So yeah. it's not meant for most people. We still need those people. Obviously, we need the sure. crazy people to be CEOs. 
But don't feel bad if you're like, oh, I'm going to be employee number five of the company. Employee number five always gets paid. They have benefits. <laughs> like, it's great. Totally. <laughs> it's a great life. Uh, employee number one is going through a lot of stress, and a very small percentage of them have a big exit or something major happen. Yeah. Employee number five always gets paid. Um, the way to figure it out, I call it tasting it. Okay. It's researching, like, what do I like? Do I like music? Maybe I should go work at a record label. Do I like clothing? Maybe I should go work under Damon John or go work with a fashion label. Oh, wait, Black Clover, their hat company over here. I'm going to go work at Black Clover. Like, mm. you go look at the companies or the categories that you like and taste it. Go check it out. Research everything about them online. Research everything about them on social. And if you see an entrepreneur that you like in a certain category, whether it's real estate or fashion or beverages or food snacks or watches or whatever the thing is, Go try to either intern for them, work for them, go to the, one of their events, go to their office. Like, just taste it. It's going around. Yeah. And every category has convention and trade shows. All of them. There's convention and trade shows for plumbers, for funeral homes, and anything you could think of down the rabbit hole. Bam, there's a freaking trade show for it. Go to these trade shows and experience it. Go see the booths. Go meet the people. Go shake the hands and immerse yourself. And you'll realize, wow, I hate clothing. I don't want to do clothing. And you go somewhere else like, wow, I really like the beverage industry. I can make a better beverage. Just go immerse yourself into a space, start to meet a bunch of people. And it's kind of like the concept of setting up shop. When you meet all these people and you start to get interactions and now, you know, manufacturers, you know, retailers and you know, this guy and that lady, like you're, you're just in it. Yeah. Last question. It's uh, it's about sovereignty. The, the whole podcast theme, it's from the outside, you know, looking at your life, you had those eight years where you're just hustling and then you had, you know, probably a really good financial outcome that put you in a position and now looking at your life, I mean, you're, you're everywhere speaking, investing, um, you're an author, do you have a ranch, like all this stuff. So specific to money, what does sovereignty mean to you and why is it so important? So it's freedom is the main word, right? Yeah. Freedom is the main word that I get to choose whatever I want to do each day. And so if I decide I'm going to throw the world's largest pizza festival for my birthday, Four months later, I throw the world's largest pizza festival. <laughs> I'm going to bring Little Wayne and Steve Aoki. Like, I can yeah. do something ridiculous because of two decades of work prior to that. I'm going to throw the world's largest toy drive. I had a toy drive going on that was great. We had lots of toys. We had semi-trucks of toys. But then we rented out SoFi Stadium. It's a whole different world. And it wasn't just about my toy drive. It's the fact that dozens and dozens of other cities copied us too, which was fantastic. Dozens and dozens of people, hundreds of people copy the tipping dinner we do with Jimmy Rex. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of people tag me all the time in tipping dinners. So the freedom of being able to do whatever crazy idea I want, and if it doesn't work out, it's okay because I've built up a cushion for things to not always work out. But along that path, I've been able to learn from people, lawyers, accountants, execution, who's good at this, how do I execute that, what website should I use, what click funnel should I use, like what Shopify. Like, And so over the course of time, I'm just immersing myself over and over and over the money part, if you notice, I don't, I'm not, I don't wear anything flashy. I haven't, yeah. ha I haven't owned a car in seven years besides the one I got for my birthday as a, as a gift. If I didn't get that gift, I'd, I'd be on year eight or nine of not having a car. So I say that because I want to invest in a car company. I want to mm. invest into things. I don't want to buy flashy stuff. Yeah. And so the concept to me of what you're saying is the freedom. I can do whatever I want and I can help other people with their vision. I've angel invested in 43 companies. That creates thousands of jobs. That's my own version of charity, by the way. That's more important to me almost than charity because it's kind of like giving a fish versus teaching how to someone how to fish. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are getting jobs because of the companies I invest into. And then that compounds and then they go buy their first house and they go spend money. And they go start their own company. That's freaking cool. Yeah. So if I can go get people, hey, Brandon, you go invest in that company, that company, that company, and then you do the same thing. And then you get some of your solar guys to go and start putting in 10K, 25K, like the butterfly effect of that, that's, oh, that's that, pretty incredible. That's the best. So how can, how can we support you, Dan? Is the, is the ranch going to turn into like a, an event center that people can book for weddings and different things? I know the animal sanctuary is a big piece of that, right? Yeah. So wild jungle, W Y L D, um, w, the wild jungle is a place that people will be able to visit soon. And people already can visit now, but like we'll be able to do it at scale soon. Uh, we keep adding more and more animals every week. Um, Yes, we do do uh, weddings and events there, but we're not overly marketing because I live there. And yeah. so like I want it to be people that are like in our world and are sure. going to have cool things there that are not coming there to throw some big rager. It's not really, <laughs> not really what it's built for. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the, the podcast and the charity, those are the things that I care about. You know, the podcast to me is, is important to spread the message of it. 
And the charity is important for people to replicate their own version of it. I'm not asking people to donate. I want them to replicate their version of what they liked. Yeah, yeah and I'll just say, go listen to the Money Mondays. You'll love it. And I know you're going to have the most insane guests. Yeah, you're like the most connected person I've ever met or known of. So go go listen to that. Uh, check out The Model Citizen. It is so cool. And I love love seeing the success of that. And it grow, like you said. And then go follow Dan on all social channels. But Dan, thanks for coming on. Man. We loved it. Great. 